sometimes the Holy Spirit just comes. And he comes unexpected. And he just sits on your heart. And he says, this is where my heart is. And recently the Holy Spirit just seemed to be whispering, oh, oh, my people. Oh, my people. I so long for you to rest. I long for your mind and your heart and your body and your soul to be restful and to be peaceful. And then he began just unveiling some scriptures that with his help, I just want to walk us through tonight. And may you hear whatever the Holy Spirit has for you. Because his heart tonight is to unveil where the rest of the Lord is hiding. Now, he doesn't hide it, but it is hiding because we don't see so well sometimes. But his heart is so tender and so compassionate and so longing for you to have this consistent flow of clarity and peace and joy and wisdom where you just feel like an oak tree. You know what I mean? That root is just deep. And you, you just know that you're loved. You just know you're loved. So I'll tell you a little story from Genesis. Tell you a little story from Revelation. And then the scripture that really is almost like an anchor to help you understand both. And somewhere in between there, may you hear something that touches your heart. You know that the Father is all love. And you know that when he created in Genesis 1, his greatest passion was to reach inside of himself and say to the man and woman, in my image be. And in the Hebrew, it's the picture that as they come to life, he just gathers them into the circle of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just gathers and said, we want to be together. Together. Let's bless this earth. It says take dominion and submit. And in our Western culture, we don't understand those words. What it means is out of the essence of who you are, which for God is love, use all the power of love you have to bless. It's not take dominion, have control. It's not that. It's take all that you are. Gather it up and release it to bless It was to walk in this love that just overflows, that becomes a fountain of blessing for every person, and not just every person, even your garden and even the wild animals. It was to take the Garden of Eden and let it fill up the whole planet. Genesis 1, 
And then you know what happened. The serpent comes to Eve. And in essence, causes her to doubt whether God is really love. And will he really take care of me? Maybe I should make a provision to take care of myself. Maybe I need to know this wisdom so I can take care of me. So out of the doubting of love, the need for knowing, control, take care of me, have some sense of independence, she eats the apple. And then what follows is the shame and the hiding. And she lost her rest. And Adam lost his rest because they couldn't quite believe that God was love and he would take care of them and do it far better than they could ever take care of themselves. And that he wanted to do it in a partnership with them. Cain and Abel are born. Abel brings the offering. Cain brings an offering. A voice comes to Cain. We don't often realize that it was a voice. When God comes out of mercy and goes, oh, Cain, honey, please, no. Please, no, Cain. Sin is crouching at your door. The English says sin. The Hebrew is there is an entity, there is a spirit talking to you. Just like the serpent talked to Eve. There is an entity, there's a spirit talking to you. Please don't listen. It's at your door. Please don't listen, son. But he did. And out of feeling God doesn't love me, God placed favorites. He liked Abel's offering. He doesn't like mine. Out of that discontent grew jealousy and competition and then anger. And then he killed him. And actually killed the person who had nothing to do with it. Abel had no control over whose offering would be blessed. And so Cain loses his rest. They both listen to a voice. And they got robbed of rest. With Cain, it's almost like the traditional little cartoon you would see back in the 70s of where God is over in this ear going, don't do it, don't do it. And then the enemy here is going, no, come on and do it and do it. And the image that we miss sometimes as in the first generation, the temptation was to believe you had to be self-sufficient. So you better get the wisdom because you're not sure you can trust God's love to take care of you. In the second generation, the voice was, God's not very fair. He's blessing him. And then you get discontent, which comes to jealousy 
which comes to anger and hate. And they were all robbed of rest. The idea did not originate within them. But there was something in their heart that was quick to go, yeah, that's probably true. You see, we're called to do this. Set face, set my face like a flint. Fix my eyes on Jesus. That's the north on my compass. And everything in life, including all those other little entities that try to whisper to you, want you to turn and whatever is over here in your peripheral vision, make that your focus then you're off your north here and anybody especially these military guys back here can tell you all you got to do is get one degree off north you keep walking and you're never going to get to your destination way lost that's right Brad and that's all the enemy wants to do is get you to turn Now, when it happens, you lose your rest. You can tell immediately. Any turning, oh, but maybe that is true. Oh, maybe that. If it robs your rest, it's an invitation from the evil one. Now, he's not strong. But he tempts us. And then in our heart, we decide. And for all the wounds inside of us, they will say yes to him. All our legalism will say yes to him. Because the only thing that can hold you on north of the compass is to know that he delights in taking care of me. And he loves me. And he loves me more than I love myself. And he can take care of me better than I can take care of myself. But none of us are born knowing that. Our life is a healing journey to get the things healed up inside. So when these voices come, and they do for most people, well, what about this? You better judge this. Well, judge that. Well, what about when you turn? You're getting a degree off north, and you're losing your rest. Is there condemnation and shame? Of course not. That's stupid. That's contrary to the God that is the north on your compass. When Adam and Eve fell, in the Hebrew, the father comes and goes, why are you where you are? Why are you hiding? There's almost a tear in his voice. Oh, Can you imagine if Adam could have gone, oh, Eve, it's okay. I forgive you, sweetheart. Let's go talk to Father about this. Or if Eve could have said, Adam, I'm sorry. I didn't didn't realize what I had done. Let's go talk to Father. But it's, it's your fault. Oh, it's your fault. Which is pretty human. And Father comes and says, why are you where you are? And then he takes the animal, and he kills it, and he guts it, and he skins it, 
and he sews the skin of the animals together to give them clothes. He said, here, can I bring you back to rest? Here, I'll make a way. And Father going, oh, Cain, please don't. You're going to lose your rest, son. Please don't. And all Father wanted was honesty. Can you imagine if, if Abel could have gone, Cain, I don't know why he chose my offering, but come on, bro, let's do this together. Let's go get the best fruits. We can do this. What would that have done? So from the beginning of all time, if he can get you to doubt Father's love, he can get your rest. It's that simple. What's not simple is the journey inside to believe you're loved and to believe you can rest. But it's a journey that is faithful, so faithful that by the end of the book, in Revelation 22, the spirit and the bride are resting together. And they're in oneness. And together they're going, it's time. Yeah, it's time. Let's tell everybody to come on. But how do you make the journey so that your mind and your heart can grow and rest? It can grow in oneness with him. What's the journey? And it's found in Isaiah. <coughs> Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born. Turn to someone and just say, a child is born. But did you hear yourself? Did it hit your spirit, what you just said? Don't think of it like, oh, yeah, I know this verse. For unto us a child is born, and a son is given, and his name shall be. Don't do that, beloved ones. Did you hear yourself? The masses, sovereign God who created universes says this will be the answer. This will be the place where they will find rest. unto us a child is born and to us a son is given now hear it afresh what father do you know that would give up their son none don't miss the tender love here beloved just because you're familiar For unto us a child is given. So what is God's way to stop all the voices, to stop all the wounds, 
to heal the depths of us? What is his way of saying, let me show you my love, and this is who I have created you to be? He's saying, I'm going to give a child. He's my own son, you know. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. Who puts the government on the shoulders of a child? The one who knows that only being childlike can be trustworthy with authority. Only the childlike know pure love. And they're trustworthy with authority. And his name shall be called Wonderful. It's not Wonderful Counselor. In the Hebrew, Wonderful. It would be like someone having a brand new little baby. And you go, oh, what's the name of your baby? Wonderful. They go, no, I know your baby's wonderful. What's the name of your baby? Wonderful. Wonderful. Any moment in your life when you've experienced wonder, it's him. Anytime you've had a joyful moment, a surprise, a delight, been in awe, him. He is wonderful. And it was the Holy Spirit saying, when you come to God, know he is wonderful. You can never understand him, but everything about him is wonderful, it's glorious, it's good, it's magnificent, it's trustworthy. His name is wonderful. No ifs, ands, or buts. And I know that sounds simple, but most people in their hearts don't know that yet. They don't know. No, he's all wonderful. He's not the author of evil and hard times and difficulties. That's not his name. His name is Wonderful. His name is Counselor. That means here he is, the Most High God, tender like a child, going, oh, I see the child in you. You're going to need a counselor sometimes. You're going to need wisdom and strategies and insights and revelations that you don't have. You will need to know the path to healing and restoration or to your dreams. You're going to need a counselor. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and they say something to you? And it just feels like just the word that set you free or you needed to hear. The counselor was at the table. The counselor had lunch with the two of you. 
the counselor was sitting at that Starbucks with you. Anytime you have a thought and it's like, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. You know what? I was struggling with this in the business, but then this thought came. The counselor spoke to you. The counselor came to say, be restful. I can tell you what the strategy needs to do. Don't know how to handle that thing in the ministry. Don't know how to handle this or that. The, the counselor's here for you. And he's spanning Genesis to Revelation saying, let me give you a paradigm for the Most High God. Because if ever you believe even a tiny bit of this, rest will be your middle name. It will own you. It will become you. For he's wonderful. Oh, he's a counselor. He's the mighty God. Mighty, that means almighty. No one has more power than him. No one is more benevolent. No one can change things like him. Turn it upside down. Redeem it. Nobody has might like him. And he's yours. And the word for God there is used in so many times in Scripture. But the one that really has jumped out at me, and this is not going to make sense to some of you, so just hit delete and tune back in in two minutes. Is in, this is the same word used when Abraham meets Melchizedek. This is the same name for God. Now, why is that important? Because it's a little preview in there. Because Jesus was after the order of Melchizedek. And in the New Testament, when it says you're a priest, you're a priest of the order of Melchizedek. You're not under the Levitical priesthood of, of the Old Testament. When Peter says, oh, we're priests, he's saying this is, this is your God. This is the God of the Melchizedek priest, the priest who believe in Jesus and who come after him and follow in his footsteps. This God is locked in to you and to want to take care of you. The everlasting father is that he has a perfect father's love, a perfect father's protection, and it's everlasting. It's going to be there forever and ever and ever. And when you get to heaven, he's still going to be the everlasting father. You're still going to be his son. You're still going to be his daughter. It's a father's heart that is so expansive. It will never stop. And in every moment, he's going, hey, can I help you with that? He's the prince of peace. It means he has authority to bring peace. Whether it's the division inside of you, the division of others, or just all the distractions of your to-do list that rob you from peace. For unto us a child is born. A son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be wonderful. He's telling you who he wants to be to you. Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, 
prince of peace. And of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, for he will establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forever. Now hear it as an invitation. Father comes to you and says, I know that it's been difficult for you to receive all of my love and all of my rest and all of my peace. I, I know sometimes you think it's just not normal, but it really is. Can I tell you how you receive it? Come like the one who rules the government. Come as a child to me. This child that was born, this son that was given, the one that I put the authority and the kingdom and the government on his shoulders. When he walked this earth, he needed me for everything. Just come to me as a child. And I will saturate your life with wonderful, oh, counselor, mighty God, Father, Prince of Peace, and the more you can believe I love you, and the more you can say, yes, I want the government of God in my life, then the peace inside of you will continue to increase with no end. And he will fight your battles for you. He will establish his government. Now you think, Susan, that's a strange word. What does it mean to establish his government in my life? It means his heart with his authority. It's his promises fulfilled for you and your family. He promises, I will bring you peace. He promises you mercy. He promises you hope. He says, I just want closeness with you. But this world's no different than Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. There are a lot of voices out here that cause you to doubt my love or to get distracted And I'm still here. And I just love you. But perhaps the most beautiful line is, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It means there's nothing for you to do. <laughs> Saved by grace. The zeal of the Lord will do this to you. The zeal means a love that's so passionate. They can't hardly stand that they can't pour love on you. Some translations will say jealousy, but we in the English make jealousy an ugly word. There's not an ugly word in Scripture. Jealousy in Scripture is, I am so full of love for you. I just want nothing but good for you, and I want to grab everything that's not good and pull it away because I just have a zeal for you to know my love and my peace. But I know, I know, I know you can't receive it. It's okay. You just give me an invitation and the zeal, my love for you will do this in you. 
I will heal you. I will rescue you. I will strengthen you. I will take away any wounds, any thoughts at all. And I myself will hold you to north on the compass that he loves me, he loves me. And then my zeal, my love will hit you like a torrential flood and push out of you all the needs of control, all the confusion, all the less than. Let my zeal, let my love hit you like a flood. We have all seen enough newsreels of floods that can come with such power. It picks up buildings and houses and it just moves them out the way. That's the image of the zeal of the Lord. Let the flood of my love so come in that I do it for you. This kingdom is brought in by a child. And so the ones who can receive it are the ones who will come as a child. Meet him equally yoked, child to child. And even as a grown man with the whole world on his shoulders, Jesus lived as a child and said, I I don't know what to say, and I don't know what to do. I ask Father to help me. It's not legalism. It's not fear of doing it the wrong way. All of those are lies from the pit of hell. He is a merciful God who just has this zeal, this passion to, can I tell you how much I love you? I don't know. He's not been real close to me lately, Susan. I get that. I've had seasons where I'd never heard a thing. But what I found was even in those moments, if I could go, I'm not going to be pulled to this stuff in peripheral vision. I'm going to lock in. And when I was in my 20s, God said to me, God is love, Susan. If it doesn't feel like love and sound like love, either it's not me or you don't see it yet. But never doubt, I am the one who loves you. You live in an ungodly world, a lot of crazy stuff happens. But I am the one who loves you. So tonight, it's very simple. He wants to just pull back and, and say, dear ones, we all long for an even higher place of rest. And he's saying, here's the path. He came as a child, but he came with government, power, and authority. And if you want to know the truth of his heart, anything that is wonderful, it's him. Any counsel, almighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the one who carries the government of the kingdom of heaven on earth. And he wants your peace to ever increase.
And he is all about justice and righteousness, not in the old legalistic way. It means he is all about treating you with kindness and goodness and righteousness and saying, oh, I see you as righteous because you believe in my child, my son. And getting from here where we're tempted to give in like an Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel to here in Revelation where the bride is just so in love with him, so full of his love that she's just flowing in oneness with him going, come. Spirit and the bride saying, come. There's nothing between us. We are at peace together. Just come. The link is the passage here in Isaiah 9. It's just consider the child. Consider the child. So I want us to take a few moments. Lynn and Brenda, if you would share communion with us, pretty please. And is there bringing the body and the blood to you? Just know. He loves you. And he longs for you. We say this a lot. Let the kingdom of heaven come to earth. The kingdom of God. He's going, of course, that's my zeal. That's my passion. I want the kingdom. I want my government for you because I love you. You're not going to work it up. It's my love that just wants to bring it to you. Can I please just flood you with my love? Can I pick up your doubts and carry them away? Can I pick up your performance, your competition, your shame, whatever is robbing you of rest? Can I pick it up and carry it away? Because you see, something in Adam and Eve and something in Cain wasn't restful with the Father. And so they listened to the voice. Strange to say, but sin didn't start inside of them. It was a tempter, and they yield. And he's saying, can I heal you inside? So all this noise that robs your peace will fall voiceless to the ground. And all that makes you doubt yourself or doubt his love or all that hesitates within you to step forth and go, no, he loves me. And no, I can't analyze it and I can't process it, but he loves me. And no, I can't do this, but his zeal will do it for me. I shared with um, some folks recently that it seems like the last couple of weeks, every time I'm with someone who is in a difficult place, that the Lord has said, please just tell them the Redeemer's at their table. That the Redeemer is at their table. And it's like, he's saying, can I sit down at your kitchen table with you? And anything that feels amiss, it can be 
anything. Your business, your marriage, your finances, your kids, just the way you feel about yourself or the way you feel about God or who knows what knows. And he says, can I just sit down at your kitchen table and be the redeemer at your table? And you just tell me, what can I redeem for you? I'm God. The zeal of my love for you can do this for you. What can I redeem for you? And so as we're at the table of the child who was given, who also became a lamb, I ask you, whisper to him now in your own way. He's at your kitchen table with you. What would you like for him to redeem? For you, for your family? What you think about yourself, relationships, where your life's ended up, where you're going, finances, difficulty receiving love, whatever, whatever. Tell him right now. The Redeemer's at your table. What can he redeem for you? And so, Jesus, you're here. And you are the Redeemer. So, Jesus, I agree with all your prayers for my brother and sisters. And whatever they're longing to see set aright or set free of or open up, whatever they want redeemed, I agree with you. Let the zeal of the Lord fix it as only you can. And I will tell you this. I was pastoring in Portland, Louisville. First time I pastored. And it was in a really poor, just highest crime rate inner city. And a mama came forward for prayer. And she was a drug addict. She was an alcoholic. She had health issues. And she was listing everything that she wanted Jesus to fix. True story. And a sweet little buddy, a little kid I just adored, was standing there. He was six years old. It's her son. And I started to pray for her. True story. And Jesus said, have him pray for his mama. And I said, darling, you want to pray? And that little boy went up there, put his hand on mama's head and said, just fix her, Jesus. <laughs> you want to know the truth? She got delivered of alcohol and drugs that day. Because it was just childlike faith, you know. We don't have to be all great. It's his zeal that will do it. So maybe we should just look at each other and say, well, just fix her, Jesus. Just fix me, Jesus. Just whatever it looks like, fix me, Jesus. Because here's the power. It's in the body. Would you enjoy and celebrate the body of the Christ? This is the blood of wonderful. <laughs> Don't you like that as a name? What's your Savior's name? Wonderful. It's wonderful. This is wonderful's blood. To take everything and turn it from wherever to wonderful. May wonderful touch every realm of your life. 
to the blood covenant.